in a world where literature is dominated by dusty leather-bound books with no pictures. Three men dare to venture to their local comic shop to approach the counter and utter those three magic words. Make mine paperback. Welcome in and welcome back to Make Mine Paperback. It's a podcast about comic books. I'm Graham the Gorilla of the Golden Age. I don't know, man. I didn't think of a nickname this week. And joining me, as always, our master of Marvel, Alex Shear, and our DC daddy, Stephen Shear. Uh, today, we continue our theme for the month of November, Comics of the Golden Age. And uh, we have Alex's book on the theme today. Alex, what are we talking about this week? Yeah, so this week, guys, we are diving into Captain America Comics number one from March of 1941. Uh, I guess issues, portions one through five, I guess is, you know, how we how we can define that, given that they were a little bit differently kind of uh, published back then. Uh, Joe Simon, Jack Kirby wrote and colored and did all the art and everything uh basically continuing a celebration of marvel's 65th anniversary at the time when they re-released these comics um it was it was all kind of put together in these hardcover volumes um and it restored the the original issues of captain america from the 40s um so in this we kind of get to see captain america and bucky fight red skull ringmaster of death you know nazi minions just a little bit of everything but before we get into that read <laughs> steven what'd you read this week <laughs> i didn't have a ton of time to read but i did uh, get caught up on the poison ivy solo run i've been uh, letting those accumulate for a few months now uh, when i first started reading them the first issue i thought i had missed something because they the um Poison Ivy is talking about things that, like, I had no idea what she was talking about. And then once you get to the second issue, it's clear that it's a story that starts in the middle and then goes back to the beginning while also advancing forward. So um, it's actually very well done. I'm a fan. Um, I don't remember who wrote it. I probably should have had that information. <laughs> Somebody from DC wrote it. <laughs> um, but it's really good. It's, uh, I mean, it's just kind of exploring her, like, uh, I mean, just the Poison Ivy. Everybody knows the borderline eco-terrorist. Um, but she's doing yeah, she's it. the worst. She yeah. hates the environment. Yep, but she's doing it because no, she loves the environment. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, because the the um, it basically it's just the Earth is you know going to die in the next hundred years or so because of global warming. So she's trying to stop that. So it's actually very well done and and kind of adds some depth to the character. So I enjoyed it. How about yeah. uh, and. Uh... As somebody who's a big Harley Quinn fan, I can't imagine you not liking Poison Ivy. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> kind of go hand in hand. Well, yeah, because they hold the same, hands yeah. at one point. We have the same taste in women. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, now that we know all about Stephen's hand in hand... Uh, how Margot Robbie, if you're <laughs> listening to this episode... <laughs> that's right. If you're listening to this episode, go ahead and uh, give Alex a ring... Um, and explain to him why you're hot, because apparently he doesn't think you are. Yeah. Um, Literally, Ned, well, stop yeah, we, it. Just go on. <laughs> We're talking about Alex, comic books, not comic I, movies, sir. Alex is really afraid that Margaret Robbie is actually listening to yeah. this podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah she's going to come kill me in my sleep now. Thanks, guys. Yeah. I don't know about that. Similar to Steven, I read a single <laughs> issue this week, uh, a whole lot of uh, whole lot of comic book reading. Um and uh, that issue was the newest issue of Dark Knights of Steel, which we read a little bit on the podcast uh, a little bit ago. Uh, but uh, I've been keeping up on that, and the newest issue is fun. We're uh, kind of come back from the, I'm not sure if it, it was like Tales from the Dark Knights of Steel was the kind of filler book in between that had the the, the main characters as young kids. Um, and then this is our, our return from that, and it's a... Uh, it's really the story is getting interesting and kind of political and uh, a big twist in it. I'm trying not to spoil it too much, but the, the point is it's a uh, it's a good issue. And uh, if you're into Poison Ivy, there's a Poison Ivy appearance in this one. All right. I'm interested. I dig it. Yeah. I dig it. What about um, you, Alex? What would you read this week? 
yeah, so this week I picked up a comic that I just, just off the cover it looked interesting, called Aza the Barbed. I think I shared that with you guys uh, this weekend. It was published by um, by Scout Comics, the Mullet Cop publisher. So kind of knew what I was getting into a little bit there. This story is a little bit different. This one feels more... It doesn't come out and directly say it, but it feels more kind of tied to uh, Native American uh, rituals and, you know, kind of spirit animals and different things of that nature. Um with like a little bit of like badassery of Mulan. So it's it's like a little bit all over the place and I really like it. Um and it's uh, Pat Shand and I don't know much about Pat Shand. Um but Pat Shand, Rio Burton and Jim Campbell all put this book together and I mean it's just issue 1, but I really like the direction it's going kind of kind of left you with a little bit of a cliffhanger at the end of the issue and I guess I'm this might be a new series that I'm going to start uh, checking out. Very cool. Yeah. Is this uh, issue one just came out or is this a series that's been out for a while? It looks like it came out this year. Uh, it looks like it, uh, the original publishing date I think was May, 2022. Um, yeah. Issue one, May, 2022. So it is new this year. So I'm not catching it late. Fortunately, but I'm, I'm sure that that means that, probably issues two and three and four are probably available. Um, I don't know the speed and expedience in which smaller publishers get things out, but with Marvel DC, I know that a lot of things kind of get published on a monthly basis, but I would imagine that more issues are available as of right now. There you go. Well, that might be a fun one to check out. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so you, <laughs> That was hard to say. It was a lot of words that uh, didn't come out of my mouth. Um, in any case, <laughs> we were talking about something from Scout Comics, uh, and uh, this week we're talking about a scout in uh, the United States Army as well as his uh, costumed hero partner. And, uh, well, what are we talking about this week, Alex? Yeah, so as prefaced, uh, we are talking about Captain America and his partner in not crime, but his partner, uh, James Buchanan, a.k.a. Bucky Barnes. And I guess let me just get initial reactions from you guys first before we dive too much into it. Uh, uh, thoughts on original Captain America? I, I think the big thing here is Jack Kirby. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and not that... Uh, not that Simon has has anything anything wrong with the with the writing here, and that, that's one thing I wanted to point out is that the um, Golden Age comics a lot of times we don't have everybody listed out on what they did on the book, you know, as far as ink and and pencils and colors and and who did what, um, and so we attribute this comic to Simon and Kirby, but it's attributed that way because Joe Simon and Jack Kirby had their own publication studio. Um, and so it's it's attributed to Joe Simon and Jeff Kirby Studios, um, which had a whole staff of people. So it, it was Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, but it also could have been about 30 other people. Um, so we don't really know exactly who did what on this book. Um, but obviously the uh, the big thing here for me is the Jack Kirby art. I mean, it's we, we get so many action shots and so much of this golden age. It it feels so exciting to read through this mm-hmm. uh, I mean even if you just take it and you flip through the pages quickly it's almost like a, a flip book of action that you can watch <laughs> as the uh, story unfolds um, and so uh, Jack Kirby for me is my takeaway I think that's, cool Steven I mean, I think that's a big takeaway, takeaway for you yeah that's a, that's a great takeaway I mean this this comic in a couple ways feels like it was ahead of its time and with the artwork that's definitely true it almost felt you know like the colors and all that felt almost like an 80s comic I mean, with that's at least. I mean, I know it's not obviously um, the same style, but to me, it was like ahead of its time. Like it reminded me more of uh, the '80s artwork. So I do think Kirby was, uh, if he did the art, he did a great job. Um, but then the other thing too. I mean, it, it is. It was you know 1941, so it was a little bit you know cheesier with like the G Willikers and all that. But I mean, overall, <laughs> I thought it was written pretty well, um, especially if you read the little beginning, um, little preface. We're kind of, you know, I didn't think about it, but like with March 1941, the U.S. was not involved in the war yet. 
So right. this book was actually, you know, with that in mind, I'm glad I read it because to me it was, uh, it gave me a lot of respect for the comic because it, it really felt like it was ahead of its time in, in the artwork and the story. Sure. Um, one of the things that I kind of, and I'm sure you guys probably picked it out because it, frankly, it wasn't subtle, was just how much it was for really like World War Two propaganda. Right. I mean, it's there's very clear again, not even it's not even subtle, but direct um, targeting as like, hey, you know, we're America. We're going to we're going to do what we got to do to to win and defend our country. Like even even when he was talking about, you know, let, we're going to call you Captain America because you are you're just like America and you have the strength to protect us uh and it's like that's very much very pro american propaganda that it it doesn't let you stray away from that um and and it's it's not go ahead alex well i was just gonna say and it's and it's again it's not subtle at all throughout the whole book and steven you mentioned america was not in the war at the time there was, in fact, America was very much against the war, or at least against getting involved in the war. You have to remember Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, they're both Jewish. So they knew what was going on in Germany. And while I don't want to say the rest of the country was frankly ignoring it, there was just more, hey, let's not get involved. Like, those are two guys who had had hope that America would, you know, kind of protect or fight to save their maybe their family their friends their their home you know the their loved ones and so that that to me is what i take away initially just reading this and knowing the background of of the two um and understanding it it helps me to understand a little bit better as to why this is so very pro-america and pro fight and defend and terrorize nazis and hitler well that's kind of that was what i was gonna say because i don't know if this was quite yet like american propaganda i thought it was more just these guys personally wanted the u.s to get involved in the war because of the reasons you just said but to me it was you know it's seems like it probably would become pro-american because this was the first issue that they released so i I can't imagine Mm -hmm. um you know, like the corporate powers that be didn't quite yet say, you know, you have to make America look good in this one. But to, to me, and I don't want to, I don't want to cut you guys off, but just as a, uh, just as an aside, just to, just to make sure our listeners know where we're at. The, the first five that we read here, we read uh, in the edition that collected in the, uh, in the Marvel masterworks, golden age of Captain America. Uh, and so a lot of this information that we pull, there were a couple of intro pages that, that Stephen kind of briefly mentioned earlier. Uh, they, they give us a little bit of background um, on uh, on what's going on here. So, so part of that comes from that. Um, but then the big thing here that we kind of glossed over um, is that this is one of the most sought after comic comic book covers of all time. It, it's, it's <laughs> I the, was going to uh, get to that. Don't worry. It's Captain, it's Captain America punching uh, Adolf Hitler in the face. Um, and so the fact that, that we have this cover, that's where we're kind of getting into this talk about the uh, – whether or not this is propaganda and and the way that this supports um america getting involved in the war uh so sorry i cut you off Stephen, but i felt like we needed to establish why we're talking about this before we and, talked about and it and also the other thing too <laughs> to point out because i i just also briefly mentioned it this came out in march of 1941 which would have been even a few months before pearl harbor yeah so just yeah that i guess that background information does help thanks graham but I mean that 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 was kind of my point. Is just that um, I you know when I was reading that preface, it really, and I'm really glad they included it because it totally changed my perception of everything. Yeah, and so one of the things they mention on those those little intro pages is that the um, you know, looking back now with with our with our future eyes, um, we look back on this and we say like, of course, Captain America would punch Hitler in the face. It's it's so in character for him, um, and we're and even acknowledging that this is issue number one it doesn't surprise us but that's what the intro points out is that this book was written and was you know presented to the publisher at the end of 1940 so so a full Mm -hmm. year before pearl harbor 
uh, is when this book is being written and published, and then it actually comes out the beginning of uh, 1941 uh, with a cover date of, of March 41. But we know, you know, in, in comics, cover dates are after the the issue actually comes out. Um, right. And so, so this comes out early 1941, um, and at the time. We do. We have a lot of people in the United States who are against getting involved uh, in the war. But uh, I, th- I think what's cool is is those intro pages kind of point out that there was there were people in the United States who were into the idea of us getting involved. Uh, and by us, I mean, I mean, the United States uh, getting involved in the war. Um, it wasn't like a universal idea that we, we should stay out of the war. Um, now, a lot of people were against the United States getting involved in this. Um, but uh, but the uh, people high up, you know, it, it's FDR kind of notoriously already had an idea that uh, he would like the United States to be involved uh, in World War II and just had to find a palatable way to make that happen. Uh, and so I, I don't know that I would call this propaganda quite yet, um, but I do think this is a reflection of some of the sentiment of the American people, especially the Jewish American uh, population who are saying like, you know, we know, we know our family in Germany and in Europe and, and they, they know what's going on and we're not getting the whole story, but we're getting a lot of the story. And this is not a fight you want to be on the sidelines for. This is one that you, you really need to get involved. Um, but I think what's interesting here about that is early on we have, um, Steve Rogers getting his injection. You know the story we all know so well. Steve Rogers gets his injection here, and the uh, the FBI scientists um, are all telling him, uh, just like you have gained this strength, we hope that America will gain the strength to stand up to these you know bullies and powers in Europe, um, which is pretty obvious, veiled, <laughs> just direct call to action for the American people, uh, which I like in issue one. We said in the, the very first issue of this book, we say like, hey, American people, get your heads out of your butts and uh, get ready to fight in the war um, because we need to get involved, which uh, is is definitely uh, interesting. Well, it is. It's very interesting that a comic book would be the one to uh, to do that, to, to be the one to kind of push the American people into action, because it'd be, I mean, it'd be like the equivalent today. I mean, you could draw parallels today. I mean, it'd be like a major publishing company like dc or marvel someone that wants to put out their product for everybody if they had you know a superhero you know like punching putin so it'd be you know very controversial and i just i just can't like they did it in the 30s they got in the way with it in 1941 things they couldn't get away with now i think that was my big takeaway on that one so i you know i wanted to tack on to that a little bit um just pulling up some (laughs) of their information while we were kind of talking here the, Graham, you mentioned the original comic cover, Steve Rogers punching Adolf Hitler in the face. Um, the This book was actually, you, you mentioned the cover dates. This book was actually published and, or released December 20th, 1940. So this was released a whole year before United before States Harvard. got involved with, yeah, before United States yeah. got involved with the war. Um, and you know just looking at different things um the current near mint price it's valued at four hundred and fifty thousand dollars because of how rare it is yeah. get a few yeah, collections that's um, about what you carry around in your wallet yeah, you should get a few collection <laughs> i'll get a few for your birthday alex or christmas one day yeah thanks buddy you guys heard that that is uh that is a promise on the podcast that's right all uh all of our german friends listening will uh word sticks and just as turbo man says always keep your promises if you want to keep your friends (laughs) good advice um but but just kind of going into that so it's you know very much leading into pushing america in that direction and obviously you know the power of the press, the you know, print, whatever, everybody can say what they want to say about it. And I'm sure a lot of people probably wrote it off as a, oh, well, it's just a comic book, so whatever. It's clearly designed for kids. But moving even past that, I wanted to talk about some of the some of the things I noticed within this, within the pages initially. Steven, I know we were talking pre-show. 
you want to talk about Bucky Barnes a little bit? <laughs> yeah, he's um <clears throat> so if you if you're only experienced with Captain America for the most part is the MCU movies and you know a little bit of modern Avengers. Like I you know I've read some modern Avengers comics, but if if your experience with Captain America is anything, you know, recent, then you'd be very surprised to see this version of Bucky because he is like, because in, in the movies and in the comics, he's actually, like, a pretty, you know, built dude. Like, he's the one who goes into the army because he's very much army material. But in this one, he's, like, kind of short, weak, and honestly not that bright. And he kind of causes a lot of problems that Captain America has to rescue him from. So it's just kind mm-hmm. of, uh, it's very shocking from, you know, Sebastian Stan to uh, to this guy. <laughs> I mean, well, I'm well do, do you guys have any context on, they mention him as the, the mascot of this uh, particular army division and um do we have any context on mascots in army divisions <laughs> is, is that an actual thing or are we just like this kid kind of wormed his way into the army uh because because he's a kid like that there's no there's yeah. no ifs ands or buts about it he yeah. is a child um he's like a... now he, he appears he appears to be like a like a young teenager uh but still he's not he's not old enough to be in the army so i'm wondering why he's in the army yeah I, he's almost so, like a, I, was, ahead, I was just gonna say um he was almost he just reminded me of like a like the lamest of robins <laughs> like that's, that's all i have to say oh i don't know i don't know he i i think he's way more helpful than early robin was I you, you look like at he, like early robin in detective comics compared to uh early bucky here um I think Bucky is way more helpful. Well, maybe, um, but and, and we and we see him a little bit. We he fights a little bit. He not does. like yeah, yeah he's he not as not as way, capable but, as Captain yeah. America. But yeah. well, I I think Bucky's greatest feature. He always seems to solve all of these cases before Cap does. That's true, he's yeah. on the scene prior to Captain That's America true. in almost every one of these stories. He's just not physically. So he's prepared. just a, right, so he, you, you mentioned you mentioned mascots. Board. You mentioned mascots. World War Two. So there weren't really like kid mascots. Obviously, you don't want a kid on an army base, but there were a lot of animal mascots, and that seemed to be a pretty popular theme with different battalions and platoons and things like that. So just briefly, just kind of looking up things like there were some um, mascots that were uh, named that were baby toads, uh, mostly dogs, uh, some cats. Uh, so I mean, it's animals were definitely a thing. Um, a little fun fact for you guys, and I know a lot of people don't know this. Um, you you talk about Bucky being a kid. Stanley hated kid sidekicks. That was like a thing he detested mightily. So, spoiler alert, that's why it's assumed he killed off Bucky later in the series and brought him back well, as is... the Winter Soldier. Right, and but, speaking of of Stan Lee. This is this is kind of well, not not his entirely first work in comics, but his, some of his first work in comics is on this book. Yeah. Um which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, but yeah, Bucky Barnes. So the, that's one of the differences that I noticed that I or that I picked up on and this is one I obviously knew before beforehand so I had previous knowledge. But Bucky Barnes as a child Graham, you mentioned that he's like pretty Johnny on the spot and just seems to just be at the right place at the right time, which is really cool. His costume looks terrible, but it's, you know, it's the style for the time. Um, Dr. Erskine in the MCU is Dr. Reinstein here in this book. Um, The guy who injects him with the super soldier serum. Um, You know, other big similarities or other big differences, of course, is you guys notice there's no Howard Stark there to help with this process. Uh, Iron Man and that whole story hadn't even been a thing yet. I didn't think that, I don't think Iron Man came out to like the 60s. Yeah, like 68. Um, yeah, something, something in that ballpark. Uh, 63, 68, around there. Um, but as they show in the first movie, or as they show in the movies, he uses the triangular, legitimate-looking shield rather than the circular shield right off the rip. I don't know if you guys picked up on that or not. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one thing that they mention in that little intro section. Uh, they talk about, at the time, the um, there was an additional comic publisher called... Let's see if I can find it. 
Yeah, MLJ was the, was the publisher at the time. MLJ, uh, who put out Pep Comics. You know, and again, when we're talking about Golden Age comics, most of the comics we talk about are collections of comics. It's it's not so much a a single title. Uh, we have action comics. We have. Um, detective comics and then for this example we have mlj's pep comics uh they had come out about about a year earlier they had come out with a character that was pretty popular called the shield mm-hmm. um and the shield had a shield very very similar to captain america's shield he had a costume that was kind of similar to captain america um yeah very very pro-american flag kind that's, of costume that's, that's mlj pitched a fit they, they they threatened to a lawsuit about about it and they said you know you can't have a character who looks remarkably like our character who has a shield like our character um and then go out and compete against our character um and so kirby and simon agreed early on to change the shield to the to the round shield we know and love today um and in order to to appease mlj uh but interesting thing mlj became Archie Comics. That's the, mm-hmm. the comic publisher Archie Comics that we know and love today. Um, originated as MLJ. And um, can you imagine if uh, their lawsuit had gone through and they had become kind of the sole uh, caretakers of Captain America, essentially? <laughs> Man, that, yeah, that would have been nuts. In an alternate reality, there's, that's happened. <laughs> that's right. On Earth 242, that happened. <laughs> yeah. In an alternate reality, Cole Sprouse is playing Captain America. Yeah. Oh God, please no. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a it's a Riverdale reference. <laughs> yep. But so one of the things I also wanted to point out while we're talking about the um, kind of the the origins of this and and the um, the ways that we get um, you know like Bucky involved it, but but even to a lesser extent the way that we're the comic really encourages the American people to get involved in the war effort. Um, one of the things these intro pages also mention uh, a book I really liked. I don't know if you guys have read, but, but a, an actual novel, uh, the amazing adventures of Cavalier and clay is, uh, mm. is loosely based on uh, this origin story. The origin of, of, of Captain America is loosely based on um, Simon and, uh, and Kirby writing this uh, writing and drawing this, this comic um, and then and then pitching it to the uh, to the publisher. Now at the time or in the at the time we actually know the publisher here, um, Goodman is his last name, um, and I can't think of his first name, and I'm not certainly not going to find it here. Uh, actually, I am Martin Goodman. Um, so uh, so Martin Goodman is uh, obviously the the founder of Timely and uh, and Marvel Comics, and he uh, he's the one who had to approve the publishing decision. And it seems like right away he was willing to publish uh, this book, even though. So, uh, the Adventure of Cavalier, Cavalier and Clay, that book has the publisher say, "We can't have you put Hitler on the cover because it's going, it's politicizing this, and we don't want comics to be politics." And kind of the argument everybody expects a publisher to have. And right. this time, Goodman is is also a Jew, and he says no obviously we need to tell the story and obviously captain america needs fight so much so that we just talked about how all of these books are compilation books captain america right away gets his own book mm-hmm. i mean this this book does have it at the back of it tucked in there are other stories tucked in there with it but captain america gets the bulk of this book he really gets a full-size comic book a monthly full-size comic book right away, and that was unheard of for a yeah. new character in the Golden Age. Um, well, not so only Goodman was it on... unheard of, but even after the even after the success of it, people didn't try it for for a while. Like it yeah, was, we, we don't we don't really see these these characters coming out with their own book right away. Uh, so we know Goodman supported this. It's it's kind of recorded in. Uh, I think it's it's Joe Simon. Yeah, so Joe Simon and his son um, put out a book called um, The Comic Book Makers, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of the story of this time. And uh, and Simon says in that book, Goodman, the only reason he wasn't on board with the cover, and he said, we, we can't do this cover, is because he thought Hitler was going to die before the book came out. Because oh, yeah. remember, they're, yeah, they're publishing remember the thinking, book yeah. in, in, in 1940, <laughs> yeah. And the book's going to come out in, in early 1941, and he's going, Hitler's going to be dead. We're going to have this dead guy on the cover with Captain America punching him. How are we going to sell that book? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I mean, thank goodness he got on board with it and basically 
pushed the publication of this through quickly so that Hitler wouldn't be dead. <laughs> but uh, not that he was rooting for Hitler. Um, he was just rooting for the success of his comic publishing company. <laughs> That's a strange position to be in, but um, yeah, it's just, I'm really glad we did the, um, you know, the golden age thing just to go over the history of some of these comics that, cause that is one thing I noticed too, is that Captain America got his own run. Whereas like when I suggested Superman, he like appears in action comics first and like everybody yeah. had to make an appearance in like somebody else's book before they could, you know, have their own. So it's kind of amazing how much faith they put in, in Captain America. And then not only that, the, the fact that they did put this comic through exactly as intended just because all the events lined up it's just like then we got the marvel we all know and love today so it's just it's kind of funny all the the stuff that kind of had to fall into place for this to happen and, and work out like it did something else i wanted to kind of draw attention to and it's very 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 well documented that red skull is the primary antithesis to captain america the, the you know the you know we all under the arch nemesis he's the guy right? yeah yeah like he's his big his big rival or enemy and we meet this guy right away in his first book you know we we talk about that first book of superman that we read we don't really meet superman's big we don't meet lex arch nemesis right yeah yeah so, so this is this is a couple years after that superman book com- comes out and so there were some more costumed villains that had appeared in comic book pages um, mm-hmm. before this, but they—they're they all kind of the, even the costumed villains in this are mostly at this time like Scooby Doo villains, like they're—they're they're just normal folks who put <laughs> yeah. on costumes. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's exactly the vibe and, I got uh, too when with the Red Skull. But continue. <laughs> they're like pulling, but what's funny to me, my favorite. So obviously, we got to talk about Red Skull. But just before we get there, there's a uh, there's a villain in this who's like a some sort of super genius guy called Rathcone. And he's my mm-hmm. favorite villain in this book because he's like a super genius and he's super smart and he doesn't wear a costume. They just make him look ugly. <laughs> <laughs> he's a bad guy, so he's got to look ugly. And so they take him and they make him look, I, I don't like almost like he's like a mole man or something. But he's not. He's just a guy. Who sits in a basement and orders the, chest, the killing of he's people? He's like the chess piece guy, right? Yeah. With like the the glass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But how? But how cool was that? Like, you know, it, sure he was ugly, but like, I, you know, <laughs> this is also his only appearance. Uh, by the way, uh, Rathcone like did not exist after. Because he's he's just not a very after good this. villain. Yeah. We keep getting told that what a genius he is and how good he is at chess, but then we look at his chessboard and there's never enough pieces on it. So he doesn't even know how to play chess, the thing that he's best at in the world. And then two, he all he does is he just talks over a speaker and he says, General whoever must die tonight and then his assassins yeah. go and take care of it. Yeah. That's not especially strategic work. Obviously high up generals we, we would ideally the high up generals in the American army would die so that the uh, the Third Reich can take over. Like that's this guy's not a genius. He's just stating the obvious. Yeah, no, you're talking about when he like sat when he had. Like, that's how um, he got this job. Well, you're talking about like when he had uh, a Admiral uh, uh, Perkins killed off, right? Well, like, he he has in this book he has two high up yeah, military two officials killed. That yeah. he just and and then eventually he says now we have to kill Captain America. And you're like, yeah, dude. Yes. You're just name you're naming the best players on the other team and saying like we need to take them out. And like, obviously Yeah, he's, he's oh, like the yeah. original captain. General obviously. Charles Manor and Major yeah. Croy. Those are the those are the guys he uh, has killed off. Um inventor of bubbly water, Major LaCroix. <laughs> right. Um Yeah, that's uh, but, right. in the Captain America universe, there's no seltzer. No, no, it's too <laughs> early. Major Lacroix didn't yeah. live long enough yeah, to invent LaCroix, it after yeah. the war. Um, but 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 I think it's interesting, right, that we get these cast of characters. But part of me wonders, and and I don't know this for sure, and maybe maybe one of you have an answer. But part of me does wonder is if they were just kind of trying out characters to see, let's see which one sticks as a bad guy. Oh yeah, that's because they they threw a lot of bad guys out in this first well, plus, issue, right? 
and you got to figure too this was you know the first appearance of captain america and then it you know a lot of characters had you know superman was brand new he was a baby so it's like all, they, they didn't really know how to write comics yet they you know they didn't understand what it was you know like they didn't have like rogues gal- galleries yet where you know like you have your constant villain because that's what people like i mean it's just yeah they're very much just like let's you know put some villains out yeah. there and, and like because these comics just move so fast too i mean like the you know like from you know there being an it, you know, like an issue at the beginning of the comic to getting resolved like less than 20 pages later they didn't quite know how to make you know they didn't give villains any time to get interesting until later until they realize that you know mm-hmm. what makes yeah, a good character it's very clear they good. want this to be this is the captain america show that's what they want for this to be so this is you get to know captain america you get to know bucky the rest mm-hmm. of these characters they're just you know we want to flash them by your face fast enough that you think maybe they're kind of interesting but then we're on to the next guy mm-hmm. yeah they didn't they didn't quite figure out the concept that you can strengthen a hero's character by putting them up against a really interesting villain you know like if when when characters have really interesting you know adversaries then then you learn more about the hero as well so it's like they didn't quite figure that out yet yeah they just wanted it to be you know just making their heroes look as good as possible well, Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of that is that these early comics were definitely almost 100% for kids. And so I wonder how much of that was early writing comics going like, if we make a uh, a villain that we can relate to, then are kids going to like that villain? And if kids <laughs> like the villain, then what are parents going to say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are we teaching their kids? Well, it actually, to, uh, yeah. to, like the bad guy. It used to yeah, be. To uh... like the Nazis? i'm fairly certain it used to be like a law like i think it was like it had to be the case that the the heroes always had to win in old media like at the end of a show comic everything the hero always had to come out on top well this is so we know early comics followed that formula a lot but it it Mm -hmm. was not required for early comics to do that um this is pre-comics code authority yeah which the comics code authority comes out um in the uh in the cool. 60s, I believe. Well, I was going to say late 50s, first, early 60s, isn't it? It's when it first pops up. And they have all these restrictions on comics. But the reason that that came out is because Congress was talking about we need to you know, control what's in comics. And the reason for that is that the comics at the time, especially the horror comics, were getting grislier and grislier. And especially on the covers, the way to sell these things is to make it more and more fantastic. And some of these horror comic covers that came out kind of just before uh, all of the uh, the comics publishers agreed to this Comics Code Authority thing, um, are they are a little bit much where you're like, wow, <laughs> we were putting these on, on just on newsstands. You're walking down the street and you're looking at decapitated people. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they were like, maybe maybe we need to have, maybe we need to well, police ourselves Well, a especially bit. if your target audience is kids, then that would be, uh, would be particularly shocking. You know, I well, well, yeah. If your kid comes up to you and goes, "Hey, can I buy some comic books?" and you go, "Sure, son. How much do you need? A quarter?" and he goes, "Sure." And then he goes and he comes back and his hands are full of bloody messes. <laughs> like, what did that newsman sell you? Yeah. <laughs> go back there and pop him one in the kisser. <laughs> Pow! Right in the kisser. Um. So I I want to kind of narrow it down to red skull which is why why, why i kind of steered the the conversation in that direction so it i don't know if you guys picked up on this but there's actually two red skulls um in this one is a acting as red skull one is red skull kind of behind the scenes um and i thought this was there's, i thought this was two red skulls yeah, i didn't, I, I didn't that. pick I thought... that up so red yeah yeah there is um the George Maxson, who is Red Skull in this book, um, is is killed off, right? Right. Um, at, the, at the end. At the at the end of the book, yes. But Johann Smith is actually actually Red Hulk, uh, Red Skull, not Red Hulk. Um, and uh, but he's well, we working behind the scenes. Book. We don't meet that don't one in this book. Okay, yeah, but I so knew that, that's yeah. what I thought because because there so there is there is this red skull here, and we kind of we don't get that full explanation from Captain America in the book, but we get the explanation that like obviously you've dressed up like this to scare people, and you're mm-hmm. trying to convince everyone that you're scaring people to death, but the the fact is you're 
actually just poison stabbing them, them with yeah. poison. Um, yeah, which is like like a little bit darker than Scooby Doo gets, but it seems very Scooby Doo. Well, when they demask him at the end, that's what I was gonna say. That's like a Scooby Doo villain. But um, yeah, because I I knew that because um, I did a, a little bit of research too on on Red Skull. Because I was like, this doesn't look like the the one that we've known from the movies. And then that yeah, that's Johann Schmidt. Um, Hugo Weaving does a great job, but. I love Hugo Weaving as as Red Skull. He Hugo just Weaving's was excellent. Yeah. But yeah, so I, so I did a little so, bit of research too on yeah. the, the Red Skulls, but I, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't think there was well, another one. In here. Well, if, so if if we know about this other Red Skull, so when do we get the uh, when do we get the the real Red Skull? Later, but I'm not telling you. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not telling you. I'm gonna make you read it. Um, we 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 get him much later. Um, when but we do find out i think it's like i want to say it's like captain america seven i think seven or eight when we finally learn that maxon was just a fake he was just kind of a he was like pretending a decoy or yeah yeah. a pawn a pawn he yeah he wasn't he wasn't really red skull but he was just like hey i'm gonna be red skull um and so, we, so was he was he taking advantage of the fact that like this this red skull mythos had built around the real red skull and he was yeah. trying to be scary like that or is he actively being controlled by the real he's red skull? well he's i mean he's doing that but he's also like he what happens is he betrayed his country and you guys picked up on that in in this book he he said screw right, it i'm gonna well, go he's, be he's, he's an american aeronautics he owns yeah. that company. He owns, he owns he the owns air a, a, company. A plane yeah. company. Um, and so uh, he decides to sabotage these planes and stuff uh, that he's providing to the military while also using his position as this manufacturer of airplanes to gain, gain access to military personnel that he can then kill as the Red Skull. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we see later that he has, he has a note signed by the Fuhrer saying that um, he gets to uh, he gets to be in charge of all American industry once the Fuhrer has taken over the entire world. Um, right. That's the agreement that he struck with uh, with Hitler, uh, which one I think is interesting that uh, Hitler in this signs all of his notes, the Fuhrer. Um, and two, I think it's interesting that this guy is like, I'm on a secret mission, so secret that I'm wearing a mask. Yeah. And I've decided to carry incriminating evidence with me in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Nigga's notepad. Of like he doesn't. He, <laughs> he doesn't even have the decency to like leave it in his car. He's like, no, this comes in my pocket everywhere. Just so in case I die, everyone knows why I did it. I mean, he's just proud of the fact that he got Hitler's autograph. That's what it is. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Which speaking of autographs, did you guys see the opening page of this signed by Captain America and Bucky? Wow. Right. Yeah. If you can get the, if you can get, um, the, if you can get your issues, I'll get your issue signed by Captain America himself too. So, there you go. Nice. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Steve, <laughs> and I appreciate it. Value, yeah. Listen, <laughs> I don't even think Chris, like Chris Evans, would be willing to sign it. He'd be like, "Listen, no, I'm gonna get the no. Captain America to sign it. He's real." Yeah, Chris Evans. <laughs> Chris Evans is Captain America. Period. Anyway, so you know, so yeah, we don't, you don't really meet. The real Red Skull until, and I just looked it up. It was uh, number seven, so I was right on that. Um, and that's and that's when we get to meet him. And the George Maxon is kind of referenced. They kind of bring him up a little bit in it, and just talk about, well, yeah, no, he was just he was a political pawn. I'm the real Red Skull. Like, here we go. And that that really, and I and I love that they do that because that that reinforces this idea that this is going to be Captain America's like primary villain. And this guy is going to suck forever because like this, it just, it just works. Um, so yeah, I mean, art style, uh, you know, let's, let's kind of dive into that a little bit. You, you mentioned Steven, I think you mentioned that you felt like the story was, or that the book was a little ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, how, you talking in terms of art style you talking in terms of story what what kind of uh, makes so you think just, that to me it was uh the i mean obviously it's way before but just the color palette to me just reminded me of the 80s where they had mm-hmm. i mean it was a lot of colors in there i mean i don't know originally if it was black and white and this is just colorized later i guess i didn't uh, think of it from that angle 
I mean, the line works and everything. There's a ton of detail in here, um, especially for being the 40s. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's just, again, I feel like the colors and all that that they were using were way, way ahead of their time. I mean, it's, you know, some of the other stuff I was looking at for the Golden Age, it was a lot more in style of that action comics where it was a lot more of a basic color palette. It didn't seem like they had this many colors. But, again, I don't know if this was just black and white to begin with and they recolorized it. But to me, it just very much felt like an 80s comics with the colors and the just constant action. No, yeah, that's so, fair. I mean, that's the. Uh, I think that's interesting that you mentioned that because that is kind of true of these early comics. Um, I, I don't know whether this was uh, colorized later or not. Do you know that, Alex? So, <clears throat> I you know so. I, I I don't have an answer for you, but just uh, <laughs> uh, just kind of looking at like, I, I found a few scans online, and I'll see if I can pull them back up. Um, where it feels like a lot of the color was it was definitely slightly updated for this um book for this collection but not much Um, yeah that's what i'm curious so the interior pages of the original captain america comic were in color yeah well, there yeah, you go. They, they were all um, in color. Now, um, now, part of that is the the printing process didn't change that much between the '40s and the '80s, um, and so the uh, the use of color in, in the inks and stuff that just that's the money that comic publishers had, and those are the inks that they had. That so the colors aren't going to be that different. I think what's interesting though is is Stephen, you're right. This does seem way ahead of its time, and I think that is just how good jack kirby was at drawing comics mm-hmm. i mean just the guy was incredible and and so much so that one this comic outsells all of its competition um, when it comes out it's just everybody loves captain america way better than anything else available at the time but the other thing is jack kirby he becomes the guy that all of the young artists want to be and so all these guys who come up as artists in the 80s, they're trying to be Jack Kirby. And it turns out their art looks a little bit like Jack Kirby's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, and that's fair. The uh, I So I'm, I'm looking again, and I, I'll send, the, send this in the chat. But you can tell, like, you know, parts of it were colored, parts of it were not colored. Um, like, they, you know, they left a lot of, a lot of things unshaded. Um, that have been touched up for the purposes of the collection, but yeah, I mean it's it's just one of those things that I think I think it's super cool. I think Stephen, you're right. I think now I do think the the modern update of it makes it have a little bit more of that '80s feel because it does have a lot of that colorization so that brings it up to. There's just so many colors, and like, I mean, there's yeah. like, even within panels, there's multiple different colors. But that's why, you know, if you click on that, if you click on that link, uh, you know, I just sent, you can, you can scroll through and see like there's, there was definitely recolorization recently, but these original scans are still, there's still a lot of color. Let's see. There is a lot of color here, but it's certainly not as uh, vibrant. When you, when you look at these originals, it it doesn't look as, uh, as 80s as uh, Stephen's saying. I put, put it in the, the uh, I put in the group chat in the 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 chat bubble down at the bottom. Yes, I don't see it. Hmm. No technical difficulties. I'll, I'll look like I talk. <laughs> if you click on if you click, if you click on chat or control one, that'll pull up your chat, and then you can uh, go to everyone that that channel. Because the last thing that's been posted. Oh, there it is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, the other the other side of that is while I'm sure a lot of these were recolor updated That's by modern technology, I do wonder if these prints aren't faded. Oh, I'm I'm sure the prints are faded, but the like the the fact that we have a lot of these guys, yeah, um, 
like like you, you can see the skin tone stuff some of that it's just left off um, yeah the uh it's, it's not faded they just decided not to color that because they didn't have colors that quite worked quite right um the uh and then and then some of this stuff is just as they were going through they colored stuff as best they could right um, but uh especially in the, in the 40s you're talking about um comics on a budget comics were really on a budget yeah um, and so you see the stuff they hit hard they were like we what what do we want to hit hard in this we want to hit red white and blue pretty hard so whenever <laughs> captain america shows up on 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 the uh, on the page we hit that red white and blue um and it looks vibrant um those are the stuff that we want to really highlight here um i do think the uh, the old colors make that if you scroll all the way down that page make Rathcone look even creepier. Yeah. yeah. Dude, oh, 100%. Looks That's super creepy. Mention, yeah. <laughs> no, 100%. But I figured, you know, again, like for me, you know, I really love uh, Stephen, you mentioned the detail even just in the drawing, not even the color, but like the detail with with the little things like the hair and the uniform the the scales on the uniform mm-hmm. um the shading for to def, to show muscle definition i just there's a lot of things that they did so very well to and I, <laughs> to kind of just show this guy is supposed to be physically superior to everybody else and but i think that they also treated everybody else with with great care too or at least for that time um you know i think that they tried to really make it feel realistic if that makes sense no i agree i think jack kirby did a great job especially you know without you know colors aside i mean the amount of details in some of these scenes and in the you know like you actually feel some of the action even and that's just so impressive considering you had to hand draw all this and there's no computer assistance so that's mm-hmm. um, that's what's incredible to now me. He, now he d- he did have people assistance. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but I'm but sure yeah. he took. I all mean, of it them. does it does come out that that Kirby wanted he wanted this to be great, um, and so eventually he stops letting anybody else work on it. Um, <laughs> this is this is his book that he draws. Um, the rest of his minions can draw. They can draw the other stuff, um, like the 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 hurricane that we see at the end of this book, or the the toque, um, that uh, that comic can be drawn by the assistants. But the 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 main ones, that's uh, that's Jack Kirby himself. He wants to be the guy in charge of that art. Um, yeah. But I I think I think you guys are right about the details here. Although I don't know how groundbreaking the details are. I, I think when we look at at um, old comics, these golden age books, I think a lot of them have details thrown in to try and make the scenes more more realistic, like you're saying. But really, the the thing that stands out for me about Kirby, uh, and, and that makes him so much better than the other artists at the time, it's the action. I mean, so many of these artists, if you if we go back and we look at even the even that Superman book uh, that we looked at, and, and that Superman book did a pretty good job, um, but if you look at it compared to compared to this, and this is only a, a couple years later that this book comes out, if we compare the two. Superman is way more posed, even when he's in action. He looks like he's posing in action. It's it's like when we when we see the. Uh, the behind the scenes look at that at baseball card day at spring training when these guys are taking action poses and we see them jumping on trampolines and stuff to get into the air um with the superman action stuff looks like he's in a pose whereas this there's so much motion in everything kirby does uh, very rarely do you see a panel uh where there's not things look like they're moving around uh, and that's that's one of the hard things to do when it comes to art because we know the art itself is static. I mean, unless you're reading in a windstorm, uh, the art <laughs> itself is static. Um, and so to, to make art feel like it's moving, to make it feel like there's real action going on um, without adding, you know, a, a million motion lines or anything like that. Um, I, Kirby just does a great job. That's the every time we see Captain America, like tackle a guy, it, it looks like Captain America is tackling a guy to me. Yeah. Um, and that's what I think is so cool here is is the it's the motion of it. It's the and and really I mean even choosing 
interesting angles um, of which to approach these scenes um, really gives Kirby a leg up on his competition. I do love how ugly Red Skull is. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorite things is like he's very, I mean, I mean I'm sure it was intentional. It was like, hey, you got to make the, the Nazi bad guy look hideous to show like not only is the bad guy, but he's ugly. So like that double sucks for his life. Well, yeah, plus two, he's, yeah, he's supposed to be like so terrifying that he's supposed to be, like Graham said earlier, he's supposed to be killing people with his looks, even though it's, it's really poison. But yeah, yeah, I mean, they they did a good job for, for one of the first films I've seen in a comic, that's for sure. Well, so, there you go. Well, anything just, else you want to talk about, Alex? I was just going to ask, uh, final takeaways, uh, overall thoughts on OG Captain America from either one of you. Yeah, I mean, I can give a little. I, I think, uh, you know, like why I picked the, the Golden Age comics, it's, it's important to kind of get in that mindset of what was going on at the time and, you know, why these books at the time were groundbreaking, even though now they might seem a little bit cheesy in, in that. But, um, you know, it's just like with that, that preface really kind of changed my opinion of especially this comic, but also just comics at the time. I mean, you know, they were still taking big risks at the time. And, you know, if they hadn't done that, we wouldn't have gotten to where we are now with comics. So it's just that I'm really, you know, glad that some people back in the day were willing to put in the groundwork to get comics that we know today to inspire people like the Stan Lees and the, you know, other people that come after. You know, I'm glad that the these there were these people. And, and this book does seem like it was ahead of its time in that respect. I mean, you know, also with the politics, you know, and the, getting involved in the war, that was very controversial. But just in general just you know you can just see the the work they put in 80 years later you know still around so that's pretty incredible to me yeah I mean, yeah yeah well i mean I, I think we we know jack kirby is revolutionary when he comes to drawing uh comics um and and, and joe simon writing a character who is willing to get involved in in large political events and and to really fight on one side or the other to really say there is there is a right side and a wrong side to these big political events uh, that's groundbreaking in and of itself uh one of the things again going back to those intro pages that they mention in this book is talking about the way superman we noted superman at the time more political than than a lot of books one of the first stories that he's involved in is a war Mm -hmm. but superman noted especially early on is a pacifist so he's very much when it comes to uh, when it comes to war, he wants them over. He's not taking sides. He's just trying to get the sides to stop fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see like he stops the missiles from going one way or another. He sits the two uh, generals down and he has them talk it out and stop the war. Uh, he doesn't take one side or the other. What makes Captain America so interesting is Captain America is very clearly on one side. Um, so much so that he puts the name of his team in the name of his uh, character. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think uh, I think Steven's dead on. This this comic is revolutionary, and I think the fact that it was willing to you know, cross borders and 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 tackle a new content and and new ways of of really building a comic, um, I think that's why it was so popular and and remains popular to this day. Nope, I agree, and uh, well, that's. I think that's those. Those are both good takeaways, and for me, I just I I love the history of it. I love similar to what you just said, Graham. Just how very much one side right away, just very much focused on rah rah, let's go America. But and as we see Captain America evolve over the years, it's. Sure, he's you know he's going to love and defend and fight for America, but he's also going to fight for what's right. I mean, you know, people people can say what they want about comics and the direction they go, but Captain America was like an early on, you know, fight for the, fight for what's right, fight the bad, and do what you, do everything you can to to defend the good, the right, and the the honorable and i think we see that pretty consistent throughout his his comic series as he as his character evolves well yeah i mean we see now part of it certainly is is captain america gaining his powers from the united states government 
Sure. That's probably part of the reason that he is so loyal um, to the U.S. <laughs> probably. But, uh, but, but I think that is maybe uh, Steve Rogers' greatest asset is his loyalty. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, he certainly has the uh, the kindness that we look for in a hero, and he certainly has the the uh, this ideal of, of responsibility. But, but I, th- I think it's his loyalty that sets him apart from a lot of other superheroes because we we do we see superheroes with kindness and we see superheroes doing what's right and we see superheroes who have incredible powers um but this is one of the first superheroes we see who is dedicated to a particular cause and that cause in this case is fighting on the side of the united states um and 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 right or wrong um as that as that cause develops you know i i think we can agree the united states has not always been perfect in their uh and their military uh, mites or their military strategies. But um, right or wrong, sure. Steve Rogers is committed to a cause and he's loyal to it. And I think that's, uh, that's kind of a, kind of a cool and interesting, interesting take on a superhero. So with that, speaking of yeah. cool and interesting no. takes from the golden age, um, next week, we're going to be talking about my book for our golden age comics uh, and next week, that book is going to be Startling Comics, number 49. Um, and this one, uh, it's I wanted to really tackle one of these variety books that's that's kind of a collection of comics. Rather than focusing in on, on an individual uh, a comic or, or an individual character, uh, we're going to tackle this entire book, this issue number 49. Um, I think it's around 50 pages. Um, and it is um, it, it has all kinds of stories in it. Um, but the reason I picked this one is because it is one of the best comic book covers of all time. Um, and it's uh, covered by Alex Schomburg, um, who has, uh, you, know, you talk about Golden Age comic book covers. He has several in, our, in the top 10 most valuable comic book covers of all time. Um, Alex really killed it. Uh, but for this one, uh, I, I put a link there if you want to click on that and check out the cover and uh, let me know what character that looks like to you. <laughs> a certain robot that uh, we all know and love. Oh my gosh. That's right. So um, That's funny. The, uh, now, now, now Matt Groening has never, has never said officially that this is uh, that this is the inspiration Bender. <laughs> uh, for Bender, but um, I included a a link there that to a blog post talking about this um, and uh, and Futurama, and uh, the author of that blog post, um, who is let me pull that up real quick. Let's give him credit. Uh, Mark Seifert. Mark Seifert. Seifert. Yep. Um, so he uh, he compares. Uh, we we see like an early prototype of the uh, the Bender robot in Futurama, and it looks incredibly similar. Uh, to the robot on this cover and so um we we also notes that futurama gets its name um from the uh, from the futurama exhibit at the 1939 new york world's fair um and so the uh, and startling comics also puts out a uh, captain future comic um in conjunction with that so uh certainly some uh, some mixed inspiration there I thought it was kind of fun. I think the cover is really, really cool. Unfortunately, we don't get to meet uh, Bender in this issue. Um, one of those comic book covers, classic, that has a, a teaser for something that is not in the book at all. <laughs> um, but uh, but I thought the cover was cool. We're going to read it. Uh, we're going to determine uh, whether we like it and whether we like the, the kind of variety book format. Uh, this one has... Uh, Lance Lewis, Tigra, the Fighting Yank, and and more stories. Um, it's a, it's a synopsis here. Three thousand years ago, an escapee from the drowning of Atlantis came to Africa, bored with eternal life in his underground world. He decides to rule the surface world. Uh, again, this is one of the best covers. Uh, Alex Schoenberg is a great uh, comic cover artist, um, and uh, a recent online poll uh, determined that this was the best Schoenberg cover. Or to determine the best Schoenberg cover, ranked this as the second best of his Schoenberg of his covers, um, only behind Suspense Comics number three, um, whatever that means. Uh, Suspense Comics number three, also a cool Schoenberg cover. Uh, so if you uh, if you punch that in, uh, that's a that's a cool cover to look at too. So check that out. Uh, with that, uh, I think that's it for the week. Uh, do we have any parting thoughts? Go read more Captain America. (laughs) 
read more Captain America, drink more milk, uh, vote. Uh, although by the time this comes out, uh, if you're voting, it's too late. It's too late for you, <laughs> and it's too late um, for this country. Uh, Captain America is disappointed that you didn't vote, or he's very proud of you that you did vote, uh, Bucky. Uh, so with that, <laughs> we will uh, we'll, we're gonna see you next week. If you want to let us know your favorite Alex Schoenberg cover. Um, he's, he's had a lot of great covers so if you have your favorite Alex Schoenberg cover uh, let us know you can follow us at Twitter as long as that dumpster fire is still burning um, you can <laughs> at make mine paperback uh, you can follow Alex on Twitter at Asher90 or me on Twitter at Graham underscore Giles of course if you'd like to move to the friendly confines of Instagram uh, we can be found at make mine paperback there and uh, Stephen can be found in the hole in his backyard actively avoiding social media true, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> With that, we uh, we hope that you uh, join the military, and we hope that uh, when you're rejected from joining the military, that they give you an experimental injection uh, to make you both stronger and smarter. Uh, we hope that you don't look like Rathcone uh, as a uh, kind of mole person um, playing chess in your basement. Uh, we hope that you, I don't know, stop some Nazi saboteurs uh, just in your everyday life. If you happen to see a Nazi saboteur, stop them. Uh, and we hope that you uh, fi- have a cause in your life that you are fiercely loyal to. We hope you go to your local comic shop, approach the counter, and tell the person at the counter, make my paperback. We'll see you next week. <laughs>